Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Mark 11. I want you to imagine that you are the manager of a franchise of a restaurant. Let's just say it's a fine dining establishment like Taco Bell, and you are the manager of a store. But there comes a day where the owner of that store, the one who owns the franchise, he is coming by to check in on things. Now, there's understandable you may feel some stress in that moment because this guy is the boss. He owns this place. He's going to check on how I'm doing. And above anything, I want to please him because he owns it. He's got authority. That idea of authority and that picture may be helpful as you approach Mark chapter 11. Because throughout the chapter, we're going to see, again, repeatedly, emphasized the authority of Jesus from the beginning to the end of this chapter. And here he comes to Jerusalem. He's the one who has authority. And you even see some of the things he's doing. He's checking on things. Are things going the way that they should here? And you're going to see the verdict is no, they're not. And so I want us to see the theme of the authority of Jesus in this chapter. And I want us to consider two responses uh, that we should have um, as we consider this. Uh, Let's start here. Mark 11 uh, begins with what we know as the triumphal entry, the events that we remember on Palm Sunday. And you see even his authority stressed in how he goes about this, um, telling his disciples to go get the colt and saying, the Lord has need of it. Now, that use of the Lord is not necessarily a connotation of deity, uh, but it is the idea of, of a master, someone in charge, someone with authority has need of this and will send it back. And then what proceeds to happen is very regal. Uh, Just consider what the people cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. So you can see this scene is very messianic and the people would have understood messianic means king because they expected a a son of David is going to come and he is going to rule. Um, And you you see that expectation even in their cries. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a reference to Psalm 118. Uh, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. So they're seeing something about this this scene is connected to the coming kingdom of our father, David. And it seems that Jesus is clearly in their minds, a part of that. Now, Jesus does some things here to mitigate some misunderstanding, right? He rides in on a colt. This was a fulfillment of Zechariah 9, and he rides into town on a kind of horse that was more associated with peace than a war horse. I think Jesus is showing he's not here to be a political king at this time because we know his agenda is to suffer, to give his life a ransom for uh, many. 
And so we see a lot of these things, but then in verse 11, it says he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So Bethany is a town kind of on the other side of the Mount of Olives. If you're on the temple Mount and you look East, uh, there's a valley immediately after the temple Mount. And then on the other side of that valley, it's, it's not a large valley, very close is the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus would go out and just over the crest of the Mount of Olives to this village of Bethany. But you get the sense in verse 11, he's looking around. He He's walking into Jerusalem and the temple uh, like he owns the joint because he does, right? He is the king. He is the son of God. He is the son of David. And then we see his authority stressed the next day when he comes and uh, does a couple things. He curses the fig tree. And in the middle of that story, um, he cleanses the temple. And now the fig tree uh, he, is a miracle that Jesus does. He curses it and it withers. In verse 20, it says it withers away to its roots. Uh, and, and then he teaches a lesson on faith, but it does seem that there's a, an additional object lesson to this miracle. Often the fig tree was a representative of Israel. And so here is this tree uh, that uh, you know has all of its leaves, but it has no fruit. And I do think part of the reason for this miracle was a miracle. And if people want to say, oh, I don't think it was really a miracle. Well, I think then we're starting to doubt the word of God. Um, but it it's a miracle that he does, but it does have a, an object lesson to it. And then you see, again, Jesus's frustration with the state of Israel when he goes into the temple and cleanses the temple, drives people out. And it seems that there are a couple things that draw this agitation from Jesus. Um, one would be the place. And, you know, even he's stopping people from carrying things through the temple, people using the temple grounds as some kind of shortcut to get from point A to point B. That is not what the temple is for, people. Uh, and even the, the place that a lot of this business was going on, that is not what the temple was for. And also, he seems to be frustrated by not only where they're doing it, but how they're doing it. He calls it a den of robbers. And the businesses that were going on there seemed to be taking advantage of the people that were coming. Uh, there was some ways, I mean, changing money and and selling animals. Well, when you've got people coming from faraway places for the feasts, uh, there was a legitimate service to some of these things, but it does not seem that people were doing this to provide a legitimate service. People were doing this to try to make a big profit uh, to where he's calling it a den of robbers. These people are thieves taking advantage of the pilgrims, not serving them. And so uh, you need to see that as a clear assertion of authority. Who gets to walk into the temple and act like they own the place and overturn tables and drive people out? Well, God does. Jesus does. He is the Messiah. He is the King. Uh, and then finally, we see the authority of Jesus challenged as we get to, again, we saw this in Matthew, even in greater depth, you know, what we called stump Jesus, where they are coming and they start asking him uh, questions and notice where they start. They start by challenging the authority of Jesus. Um, 
and Jesus turns it back on them in a very deft way, uh, kind of putting them on the spot. And, and again, Jesus shows, I am in charge and you guys are scared. Uh, you guys are out for yourselves. Uh, and, and that's exposed in his question because they can't answer because it's going to displease people and make them look bad. Jesus is very much in control. They are very much not. So from the beginning of the triumphal entry in the chapter to the end and how they challenge the authority of Jesus, uh, we see the authority of Jesus emphasized and reemphasized in this chapter. Now let's think through what are some ramifications for us now reading this 2000 years later, uh, what are some ramifications for us from the authority of Jesus? And there's two things I want us to think through there. And really, our response to the authority of Jesus should be true submission and faith. And true submission, I think you see some of that idea even in the cleansing of the fig tree, that Jesus is frustrated, rightly so, with the people who he's rebuked elsewhere. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. All right, there's this tree that looks in leaf, it looks good, but there is no fruit. And that's a problem still today. People that will say the right things, people that will put on a good face, but there is not true submission to the authority of Jesus. I'm going to play the religious game, but I'm going to do things the way I want to do things. And that's what we see in the Pharisees. And that's still alive and well in people today. And I want you to make sure that that's not alive and well in you, that you aren't just going through some spiritual motions in your life while you're harboring secret sin, or you are rejecting God's word in some situation in your life to do things your way. That is not how we should respond to the authority of Jesus. All right, right? When you're the manager of the store and the owner comes to check on how things are going, he's the boss. And if he says, I want you to do it this way, guess what you need to do? Do it his way. And that's how we want to, to live. And again, we should be reminded our king is a good king. Or as our my missionary friend Shannon Hurley likes to say, there is a king, his way is the best. So we do need to submit to that king, but we can do that with the knowledge that the things he does ask us to do are the best. They're the right way. They, they will benefit us ultimately, because he knows what he's doing as the king. So we want to respond to the authority of Jesus with true submission. We don't want to be like the fig tree, looking good, but ultimately devoid of fruit. And now the other response that we see as Jesus explains the fig tree is that of faith. And when we talked about some of these comments, because Matthew records this same story and how we don't want to just back away from these comments because they are strong comments, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now we talked uh, at length about that when we looked at this similar passage in Matthew, uh, and, and we remind ourselves that what well, we want to pray how Jesus taught us to pray, and, and we should 
plug that into our thoughts as we think about this chapter. He's, he's told us how to pray, and we should be asking for the things he has instructed us to ask for, and that will strengthen our faith. We, we need an object of our faith. If it's just we're throwing up our wishes and whims to God, that's not going to lead to this uh, faith-filled prayer. But when we're asking for things based on the promises of God, well, we can go in faith and we can trust um, that we will have what we are asking for. But there is a part of this passage that's unique to Mark. So we should notice that especially. Verse 25 says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So here's the thing to note. Failure to forgive others who have offended you will hamper your prayers with God. There's something to check your heart for when you go to pray today. Is there something you are holding on to against somebody else? If you are, that's going to hamper your prayers. And so it's time to let that go in your heart and to forgive the other person. And it says even whenever you stand praying, so wherever you are praying in that prayer, forgive that other person, let the resentment or the holding it against that person go so that you will experience the grace of God in your own life. So the boss is coming to town and Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he checks on things. And as we look at these events from 2,000 years ago, there's some clear takeaways for us. I pray that we live lives of true submission to the King and that we walk in faith in Him and in His promises and that that faith leads us to faith-filled prayer. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.